0: Y'all look good. You're welcome. You're thank you. You're just saying that 'cause I said it first. Uh before we get started, I just want to say, um, uh, I love y'all. I love being um a pastor here. I love getting the opportunity to to not just not just not just speak, um, but to but to love a group of people like you guys to to make visits and to hang out with during the week and to spend time with volunteers. It really is an honor. To uh, to serve this church, and I just wanted to say that first, uh, I love you, and I want you to know it. Love you, mean it. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, a uh, little while ago, hadn't been that long ago. A little boy. We have a five-year-old boy named Riley, and if you're tired of Riley, Riley stories. Pastor Scott will be back next week. Um, <laughs> he may not tell any. I don't know. He may have one too. Who knows? Everybody's got a Riley story. Um, but he, he's 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 five, and several months ago, he uh, he was at at uh, daycare and uh, preschool, and he he got scratched on his hand, and so he didn't really mention it uh, when he got home that day, but right before we were going to bed, we always uh, read a story, and uh, we always uh, say our prayers, and we always ask him, hey buddy, is there anything uh, that you want us to pray about, and let there be light. But we always ask him, buddy. We always read a Bible story. We always say, buddy, is there anything we need to need to pray about? We actually read Genesis, where Jesus said, the God said, let there be light, and that's the illustration there. And uh, he said, yeah. He said, I actually, I got. He said, I scratched my hand right here at um, preschool today. And I said, okay, buddy, we'll, we'll we'll pray for it. And so that night we we prayed for his hand. And fast forward a couple of days later, we hadn't really heard anything about the scratch on his hand. We hadn't thought much about it. It was just a little scratch. And I just happened to think about it during the during the prayer time that night before bed. And I said, hey, buddy, how's your hand? And he looks down, and it's like he's trying to rub it fi- to find the scratch. And he's like, oh, it's, not, it's not there anymore. Jesus must have healed it, that sneaky God. <laughs> and so this morning I want to talk from the subject of sneaky God because I left I left Riley's room that night thinking, you know what? He's right. God is kind of sneaky, isn't he? Like, uh, and I think the reason why this is important, even for us uh, as, as adults, is because it, it, oftentimes what we try to do is we try to put God in a box. We try to put God in a box. And when something happens in our lives, through our lives, to our lives with somebody we love, we try to figure out what God is doing. Have you ever played this game? And so if someone got sick. I got hurt. I got a demotion, I got a promotion, and we try to calculate what God is doing based off of our circumstances. And so we begin to put together math equations. God did this, so this can happen, so this can happen, so this can happen, or maybe God did this for them, so he could do this for me, so that this could happen. Maybe, maybe God will do this, and see, now it's making sense, because now I understand why when I was four, I did, uh, and it's, we, start, we try to calculate God, we try to make him into a math, math equation. And I think that's really, really dangerous because what happens when God doesn't act the way we wanted him to act? It shakes our faith. As a matter of fact, some of you this morning, you're either not a believer or you're barely hanging on by a thread. And if you were honest and it really came down to it, the reason why that is is because God didn't do something you thought he should have done. And so you prayed, God heal him they still passed away. You prayed, God, I need a new job. This isn't enough money. And the repossession still happened. You prayed for God to do something. You asked God for something for a long time. You believed you were doing exactly what God wanted you to do, but it didn't turn out the way you thought. And so today, you are left, and your faith is shipwrecked, and it's not because God acted out of his character, it's because he didn't do what you wanted. Because God is sneaky. And so this morning, I want to look at three different sections of Scripture. And what I want to do, I just, I just want us to think that maybe just for a moment, God is so big, God is so powerful, God is so strong. God is so loving. His plans are so much higher than ours. I want to think just for a few minutes, what if God doesn't do it your way and it's okay? Because God is is sneaky. The first story I want to look at comes in the Old Testament. The Bible is divided into two parts, the Old and the New Testament. This is about... Uh, the Israelites, they're God's chosen people. God has always been about relationship. It was before Jesus, and so he chose this nation of Israel. He said, you're going to be my people. The problem is, is when we pick up the story, the nation of Israel is in slavery in a land known, known as Egypt. And so God, the Bible says, hears the cries of his people, and he says, I've got to do something about this. They're in slavery in Egypt, but I've got to get them out. It, the Egyptians are ruled by this guy named Pharaoh. And so God calls a man named Moses through a burning bush, even though the bush didn't burn up. So if you've never read that story, you need to read it out. Read it. It's crazy. But God calls this man named Moses, and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, this Egyptian ruler, and I want you to tell him to let my people go so they can worship me. And if you read the story, he does this several times. Pharaoh is hard-headed. It wouldn't get through his head, even though some really, really crazy things happened. But finally, Pharaoh's like, okay, you know what? Y'all can go. And so Moses, the leader of this nation of Israel, they're on their way out of slavery in Egypt to a land that God had promised them. And he said, this is where I'm taking you. I've got some good stuff for you. Go this way. The problem is, is that as the Israelites are headed towards this promised land, this place of good and blessing, Pharaoh decides, eh, I changed my mind. So he sends his horses and chariots after the Israelite people. The Bible says they get into this little spot where the the Egyptian chariots, the Egyptian army is catching up to them and there's a sea in front of them. They're in a a stuck place. Have you ever been in a stuck place? Anybody ever felt stuck? Like you just felt like, like you were stuck in life? You thought you'd be somewhere else by now? You thought things would be going a little differently by now? You just feel stuck in your job? You don't see any opportunity for movement. And as a matter of fact, you've been doing this so long, it's just something you do. You've lost your passion for it a long time ago. And you just feel, you just feel stuck. You feel stuck in, in a relationship with, 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 some, with someone or with, with a group of people. And you just, you just feel stuck, like life is in a rut. Do you ever get that feeling? The Israelites are stuck. And that's when God does something sneaky. Exodus 14, 16. God tells Moses, pick up your staff. And raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry land. So it doesn't make sense, right? It's, it's sneaky. The, 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 the Israelites are in a spot where there's an army behind them. There's a sea in front of them. And what does God tell Moses? What does he tell him to use? A staff. Does that make any sense? I have never gone to water part in college, but I would think, and I don't know much about buoyancy and the ocean's tides, but I would think that the way to part water, I wouldn't know how to start, but I would definitely say it wouldn't be with a staff. Now, why in the world did God tell Moses to use a staff when he was in this stuck place? Because he had one. And, and I'm going somewhere with this because a lot of times, when we get in these places in life where we feel stuck, what we ask God to do is we ask him to perform a miracle, and, but what he replies back with is, what's in your hand? My question to you this morning, if you're in a stuck place, what are you doing with what God's already given you? What are you doing with, 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 what's in your, with what's in your hand? For some of us, we've been asking God to give us another job, and we've been asking him to part the waters somewhere, and what God is saying is, he's saying, you're not even being faithful in the job you're in. You're taking time off without your boss knowing. You're doing things. You're taking things. You're taking advantage of some things. And God is saying, "What's what have I already given you? For some of us, we're asking God for friends. Meanwhile, we just had growth group sign-ups. Because, and, and here's why I say this. Because God will do what we can't, but he expects us to do what we can. And I'm afraid that as As just American people in general, and this doesn't even go for believers, but we are really good at asking either God or other people to get us out of the holes that we dug and we don't want to do anything. God tells Moses, he says, I know you're in a stuck place, but I am just sneaky enough where I can take that little thing that you have. I know it doesn't feel like much. It's a staff You've you've, you've, you've herded sheep with that thing. You've done all kind of stuff with that thing. It doesn't seem like much. But if you'll just use what's in your hand, Moses, if you'll raise it, I am going to do something that you can't. You do what you can. I'll do what you can. And, of course, God comes through. Watch what happens in verse 21. It says, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. So notice when the water parted, when he raised his staff. God said, look, what's in your hand? But then Moses had to act on it. Oftentimes, we become really good at excusing inactivity by saying we'll pray about it or by waiting on God to do something. Meanwhile, the way that God parted this water, he did something sneaky, he did something amazing, he did something awesome, but it started with Moses' step of faith. Some doors in life are motion activated. And sometimes God is waiting to see us step out and act on what we already know to do, to step out and use what little thing we already have. Sometimes he's waiting on that before the waters part. So, yes, God is sneaky. He can part the waters, but he wants us to start the process. So, Moses and the Israelites, they cross over. They get to the other side. Moses puts his staff down, and the water goes back to normal. Matter of fact, it drowns the Israelites' army. It drowns the, drowns the Egyptian army. It drowns the Israelites' enemies. There's another story in the Old Testament. If you've been in church a while, you've probably heard a story about three men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Try to spell them without looking. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, basically, to set this story up, the, uh, the nation of Israel, God's people, are in captivity in Babylon. Babylon is an evil time in history for, for the Israelites. As a matter of fact, when you see Babylon in the Old Testament, a lot of scholars will say that it's, it's similar to, the, to, to, to kind of the same connotation as the devil. That's what this period was like for them. And so they're in Babylon. There's these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who who are worshiping God. The king of Babylon is a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a prideful man. And if you go back and you kind of read through the book of Daniel, you'll see that God tried multiple times to teach King Neb humility, but he never learned it. And so one day, King Neb... Issues this decree and says, Everyone, you can only bow down to me. You can't worship your gods. You can only bow down to me and worship me. Well, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to do it. They refused to worship anything but the true God. But some people sell them out. The punishment for worshiping anyone but King Nebuchadnezzar was to be thrown into a lake of a pit of, of fire. So these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are caught not doing what King Neb wanted. They're in a hard place. Have you ever been in a hard place? Have you ever been in a hard place in life where things are just tough? Like nothing seems to be working out where where it seems like you thought last week was as bad as it could get, and then you faced this week. Do you know what I'm talking about? You thought that was as terrible as your kids could get, but then they found a new gear around Thursday, You thought you were as exhausted as you could possibly be and still upright, and then Friday came, and you didn't get any sleep Thursday night? Have you ever been in a hard place where there's more month than there is money, where you have another collector calling you, where you have another relationship that you feel like is falling apart, or where you have somebody else that you feel like doesn't doesn't trust you anymore, and somehow you've messed that up too? Do you ever feel like you're just in a in a hard place, in a hard place where you're trying to do the right thing, but it feels like things are just getting worse around you? Have you ever been in a hard place? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a hard place. But this is where we expect God to do something that he's not going to do. Because Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were, were, were faithful to God, weren't they? And so what we would think is at this point in the story where they have refused to worship King Nebuchadnezzar and they have only bowed down to God. If we were putting God in our box and we were trying to calculate everything, we wouldn't, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to get a pass. Right? If you're trying to negotiate what God would do, you would think they were good, so they're not going to face this lake. That's what we would think. Right? That's what we would believe. That's what we would expect in our own lives. Now, if we didn't know how this story ended up, we would think, ah, they get a free pass. King Neb converts to Christianity, and and they get a free pass, all because they were willing to do this, but that's not what happens. God is sneaky. Daniel 3.20 says, then he, talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, and threw them into the furnace fully dressed in their pants, turbans, ro- robes, and other garments. So this is this is one of those times, isn't it? Because these these guys still get tossed into the fire. This is this is one of those times where It feels like God's not fair. Where it feels like almost God's unmerciful. Like almost God can't even keep up his end of the bargain. Isn't that that what it feels like? Where I've done everything I can. God, I've I've tried to be faithful. God, I've tried to walk with integrity. God, I've tried to handle this the best way I knew possible. But, but now this is happening, and what happens is we think that we know something, and so when we get into the fire in these situations, it throws us all off, off kilter. Have you ever asked the why question? God, wh- why? Why didn't, why didn't you prevent the cancer? God, I've been going to church for 20 years. Why didn't you prevent it? God, why don't, why don't you make this stop? God, why don't you just take it away from me? God, God, why, why didn't you save the relationship? I know that you could have spoke to them and you could have changed them and they could have come back. God, why didn't you, why didn't you save it? God, why, why didn't you? I've heard about my other friends getting a surprise check in the mail. God, why didn't you do that? God, I tried to raise godly kids. I had them in church. I had them in children's ministry. Why are they doing this now? We ask the why questions. But I want to tell some people today that just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean God's not good. We want, in our society today, we want it to feel good. We want it to feel good, and we base who God is off of how it feels. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean God's not good. In fact, some of God's greatest work in your life and in my life will not be what He prevents us from. It'll be how He provides for us in. Did you catch that? Because these men are about to see God in a light they've never seen Him before, and it's because God's not doing exactly what they would have wanted him to do. Think about it. If God always healed, you wouldn't ever get to see him as the comforter. If God always kept the bills from piling up and always, always got out in front of them, you would never get to celebrate his provision in the moment. And these men are about to witness a side of God that they would have never gotten to see had they not have gotten thrown into the fire. So often, I know for me, when I'm in a situation like this where it seems like it's hot and it's tough and it's hard, I ask why I believe in these times, just like God is about to tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe when we ask why he often says, watch. Watch what happens next. Verse 24, says, but suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. God is so sneaky that he doesn't always prevent, but he always provides. He is so personable that he won't just leave you stranded. He always walks through it with you. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's not where you are or what you're doing, but it's who you're with? And some of us, we have felt abandoned by God because we've gotten in a tough place. But the thing is, is he's right there. We're the one who's left. We're the one who's turned our back. And what he wants you to do is, even though the fire is hot, he wants to walk through that with you. My wife is one of these people. When it's just me and her, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what's going on with me. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we're doing. She just has a way of speaking to me. Sometimes, sometimes it's hateful, but it's right. <laughs> but she just has this way of speaking to me. And it doesn't matter what we're doing. It matters who I'm with. Do you have those people in your life? God oftentimes will not prevent, but he always walks with you through it. Some of you, you're facing some stuff today, and I want you to know that it I know, I know, I know you may not see him right now. He may not be obvious, but he's there. And I want to remind you of that. He's there, he's with you, he's walking through it with you. It doesn't surprise him. He's just sneaky. Quit trying to figure him out and trust in his presence and his character. He is good. The same God that walked through the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is walking through this thing with you. I promise you. Just hold on. feel like God wants somebody to know that it's almost over. Hold on. He's there. He's walking through it with you. And when you get done, some people will say they weren't alone. This is how the story ends. Verse 26. says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high, high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. That's who God is. They saw God in a light. Their lives are changed in a way that they never would have experienced had God prevented them from getting in the fire. And the reason why that's important to God, just a side note, the reason why it's important to God for you to see Him in in different lights and for, for you to see Him, the full character of who He is, is because relationship requires transparency. And what God ultimately wants from from you is He just wants relationship. He just wants to be with you. That's why He He literally moved hell and earth so that He could have a relationship with you. And so it it, it may be like God, why, why why do you why do you do the, these these things? It's because He knows that the best place for you to be is with Him. And sometimes that means that. You have to experience the fire so you'll know that he's walking through it with you. Because it it builds relationship. Oftentimes we ask God to change our situation, but he's more fixated on changing our heart. I wonder, in your hard situation, where is God? Because he's there. Another sneaky story. Fast forward what scholars would say 550 years. These people these Israelites, do you see a theme? God's people they were in search of a solution. They had tried to get it right. They tried to follow laws and do this and don't do that. They had been trying to get it right. But now it's time for the savior of the world to come. It's that point in history where God says, "I've had enough. I'm just going to go do it myself." So he's it's time for for Jesus to be born. People that were on the earth during Jesus's time, based on Old Testament history and what the Israelites and, and the Jewish people just kind of always thought thought that he would be royalty. They were expecting a king, and so they were expecting him to to look like a king. But God is sneaky. And so he tells this teenage girl, who is still a virgin, if you don't know what that means, you figure it out, that she's going to have a child, that the Savior of the world would be born through her. And it happens. She's in a weird place. Y'all ever been in a weird place? It just didn't feel right? You felt Unqualified? You didn't. You didn't feel like you were supposed to be there. You didn't. You felt like you were kind of all alone there. You didn't feel equipped. Just kind of felt like you were in the wrong place. That's where this girl named Mary is feeling. Luke two verse seven says she gave birth to a firstborn son. She wrapped him in snugly in him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. God is so sneaky. That he takes someone who's not even qualified and births the, sa- births the Savior of the world through them. Some of you this morning, you don't feel qualified, do you? You don't feel qualified. You're still living in shame, you're still living in regret. You can't even pray anymore because you are so overcome with fear and shame. You can't even talk to God. Some of you this morning, you don't feel qualified because you weren't the husband you were supposed to be. You weren't the the dad. You weren't the mom. You weren't the wife. You weren't the child that you were supposed to be. Some of you this morning, you feel disqualified and you've lost your view of potential because you've lost your view of yourself. But I want you to know this morning that God is still birthing great things through unqualified people. He's birthing something good in you. If you would just believe it, he's birthing something better. He's birthing a future that's better than the past. He's birthing an amazing relationship with him. He's birthing a new passion. He's birthing a new skill. Believe it. He is birthing something inside you of you God is always about loving those people that the world rejects. Mary was too young. She wasn't qualified for this job. Not only would he birth the savior of the world through Mary, but it would seem like he almost forgot to book an Airbnb for the savior of the world to be born in. Again, If we tried to put God in a box, that wouldn't have been the box that we tried to put him in, would it? Of course, Jesus would live. He would teach. He would die at the hands of some men who just refused to understand. And then God would do something else sneaky. As some of Jesus' closest friends are going to visit him in the tomb they've laid him in. This is what the Bible says in Mark 16, 5 says when they entered the tomb they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side the women were shocked but the angel said don't be alarmed pause right there just for a few seconds because they had buried Jesus now he's gone alarming right The situation seems alarming. The situation you're in right now seems alarming. What you're going through right now, it feels alarming. Feels like you've lost hope. Feels like there's something missing. It feels alarming. But watch. What happens? Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. If I'm one of them, I'm thinking, no joke, we know. That's why we came because we know they laid his body there. We know that's where he was supposed to be. But the reason I say don't be alarmed is because what looked like the final chapter was really just the setup for the real life. It was really just a setup for God to do something even bigger. So I'm asking you, don't be alarmed. The angel says, don't be alarmed. He's gone, but better has come. He's gone, but God's doing something new. It's gone, but there's life around the corner. Sometimes God allows something that we like to die so that something we need can be birthed. God is sneaky. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. We're not done, but I want to pause just for a second because I think, there's, I think there's some people in this room who have never accepted Christ. And the reason is, is because you've been trying to size God up. And this morning, I want you to know that this story that I just told is true, that Jesus got up. He got out of the grave. And so the reason you, can't be, you haven't been able to size God up is because he's so much bigger than your imagination. But at the same time, he's so much bigger than your imagination, he's so much more loving than you could ever comprehend. And So this is true. Jesus would die at the hands of men, but he would get up three days later. And the reason he did it is because of you. And this morning, I know you don't feel worthy, but God says you are. So if you've never accepted Christ, just say this, this prayer in your heart. It's, it's it's less about the prayer. There's no magic words. It's more about just believing. Just say, God, for some reason, I, I I do believe that. It sounds crazy. I can't comprehend it. It's sneaky, but I believe it. And so, God, I've messed up so much, but. I just want to follow you. I believe you are who you say you are. Come into my life. Change my life. I'm going to do my best, whatever it looks like, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does this mean for those of us who have tried to size size God up for so long? What are some practical steps that we can take? Number one, don't get down because things aren't looking the way you want them to. I think it's, it's easy for me to say, right? But don't, don't, don't lose your hope when things aren't going just the way you want them to. Because oftentimes what we do is we look at God through our problem. And so based off of the problems we're facing in life, that's how we see God, isn't it? If my life is going good, I see God as good. But if, 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 if things are going bad and things are getting worse and I'm at the end of my rope, all of a sudden the goodness of God begins to blur because we feel like he's kind of lost control. We have to reverse that. We have to look at God, look at your problem through God. Because if we can trust God's character, then we can trust the problem, right? Right? If we can trust who God is, that he's he's sneaky, but he's good, he's powerful, the same God that got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that walked through the fire with him, the same God that parted the waters, if we believe he's still with us, we can see our problem through through God, not God through our problem. It's about reversing how we see things. And the last thing is this. Look for God in ways you wouldn't expect. Because God is very active around us in the everyday. Just like he was with Moses when Moses raised his staff, God is still active. But oftentimes we miss it because we're not looking for it. There was a boat, USS Astoria, in World War II. that did some damage one night on Japanese ships. But the very next day, it took on some damage of its own. At about 0, 200 hours, a man named Elgin Staples was swept overboard by a blast. He was wounded in both legs by shrapnel and was kept afloat by a narrow life belt that he had managed to activate with a little trigger mechanism. At 0, 600 hours, Staples was rescued by a passing destroyer destroyer and returned to the Astoria, whose captain was attempting to save the ship by beaching it. The effort failed, and Staples, still wearing this life belt, found himself back in the water. Picked up again by the USS President Jackson, he was one of 500 survivors of the battle who were evacuated. He was transported to safety and obviously got leave, was able to make his way back home to, to Ohio. So he, he gets home, he begins talking to his, to his mother, who worked for Firestone, who was ma- actually manufacturing, some of them were manufacturing these, these, these life belts. When he got home he was talking to his mom he was telling her the story of of all that had happened and how it was this little life belt that saved his life and he told his mom he said you know as i was as i was headed back home i i was studying this life belt and he said it said firestone on it, but it also had a number he said do you, since you work with firestone do you, do you know why it would have had a number she said, Well, yeah, actually. She said, every uh, Firestone wanted to have a personal effort in the, uh, or personal investment in the war effort. And she said, So everyone inspecting and making these belts had their own number. And she asked him, She said, Do you happen to remember the number that was on your belt? He said, Oh, he said, Yeah. He said, That thing saved my life. Of course, I remember that number. He said, The number was six. At that moment, his mom, the lump in her throat, began to cry. She said, son, that was my number. God is still working in ways that we could have never imagined. He's still working in your life. While it may not look like you wanted it to, I want you to know that he is sneaky. He still loves you. He still cares. He hasn't withdrawn his hand he hasn't taken his eye off of you and it may not add up and it may not fit inside your box but I want you to know this morning that the number is six because he is concentrated on you and he cares about you and he loves loves you and he's taking care of you and even though it may not make sense she didn't understand why she was putting a number on this life belt Why? even though it may not make sense he's still taking care of you God is still good. God is still faithful. God is still sneaky. The same God that got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to go through the fire with him, the same God that saved Moses and the Israelites with a sea in front of them and a chariot behind them, is the same God that's with you today. He is still good. He understands you. He understands your problem. He understands the solution. He's with you. Look, look for Him. He's with you. Y'all stand and sing.
1: So I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought So I stop all negotiations With the God of all creation Cause you're bigger than I thought you were You're bigger than I thought So I throw all my cares before you My doubts and fears don't scare you you're bigger than I thought you were You're bigger than I thought So I stop all negotiations With the God of all creation Cause you're bigger than I thought you were You're bigger than... Sing it again So I throw all my cares before you my doubts and fears don't scare you Cause you're bigger than I thought you were You're bigger than I thought So I stop on the go thank you that you are always present, always walking with us. God, that you never leave us. God, that as the flames of life surround us, God, as we see those flames get higher and higher, Jesus, you never leave us. Your power, your love, never stops surrounding us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this day. God, thank you for the chance to come, to be together, to worship you, to be reminded of your greatness this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray.